Our gospel reading of Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 through 10. And this is the story of the resurrection and the story in particular of how the women encountered Jesus on Easter morning. And we read this. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. Uh, Tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. But suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the early morning hours of the third day, the disciples and everybody who had followed Jesus had no reason to hope. Hope, by its definition, looks forward to a promising future. It sets our hearts and minds on an approaching reality, giving us a goal to work toward and a promise to hold on to. Optimistically expecting the best, hope allows us to struggle through hardship and endure even the worst things because we believe that what we want, that what we desperately desire, might yet Come true. But for the disciples, when Jesus died, so too did their hope. A few days earlier, their rabbi and friend was brutally murdered, murdered during a public execution for a crime that he didn't commit. The men and women who had followed Jesus so far watched him suffer this horrendous death, this humiliating death that shattered their entire world. See, they had believed that Jesus would usher in God's new kingdom, that he would crush the Roman Empire, that he would restore to Israel, uh, restore Israel to its rightful place among the nations. But after the crucifixion, the disciples and their hope crumbled. Everything they believed fell apart. Their mission dissolved and their fellowship Broke. Their whole world tipped sideways because none of their expectations fit into this bizarre new reality where Jesus lay dead in a tomb. They were rethinking everything they knew about him. Maybe they'd been wrong about him all along. Maybe what they said about Jesus was true. Maybe what the Romans and the Jewish religious leaders said, maybe he wasn't the Messiah. Even worse, maybe he was the son of God, but death had somehow been stronger. 
Maybe the wages of sin were too great for even the Messiah to pay. Even though Jesus had told them, and really told them quite repeatedly, that he would rise on the third day, the disciples could not envision a reality where their dead friend returned to life. We understand their perplexity because death is inescapable. And almost all the time, it is final. A fundamental law of human existence, death catches us all. Through the ignorance of the Pharisees and the injustice of a corrupt system, death had seemingly even caught Jesus. So on Easter morning, the disciples had given up. Notice where they are and what they're doing. They didn't camp outside of the tomb, eagerly waiting to greet Jesus once he rose from the grave. They were hiding somewhere in Jerusalem from the authorities. They hadn't distracted the guards in anticipation of his resurrection. There was no party planned to celebrate his victory. Instead, they remained home to recover from the reality that Jesus had not been their savior. They had left their families They'd left their jobs, the communities to which they belonged, to follow this teacher who claimed to be the Son of God. But his death meant that he was wrong. His death proved that that he wasn't who they thought him to be. He may have been wise. And unlike anybody they'd ever known, they couldn't deny that. But going forward, they saw that he was also a man who might have had delusions of grandeur. He may have taught them how to be merciful, but now they have to look at him with pity. He was a good man who said he was God, but maybe he wasn't. Confronted with his death and burial, the disciples surrendered to their grief and they mourned their friend the best way they knew how. That morning, the women of their uh, group went to the tomb, not Again, not again, not to meet the risen Lord, but to grieve someone they loved. According to Jewish burial rituals, the women were prepared to dress his body with spices and say his, their final farewells. An empty tomb was the last thing they expected, which can be seen in their time of departure. The Greek uh, here doubly emphasizes the word for early. So when they went to see the tomb, it was not just early, it was Early, early. So like if you got up for the sunrise service this morning, that kind of early. Okay, it indicates they left well before sunrise. The moon, the stars were still out. And they did this partly for their own safety. And they traveled not with joyful anticipation. They weren't expecting him to be there, but in despair and fear. Jesus was executed as a criminal and the authorities wanted both his body and his reputation buried. In a very unusual move, Pilate assigned Roman guards to the tomb so the disciples wouldn't steal the body and try to stir up trouble. And so the women approached the tomb under the cover of night with great caution. Were they worried? What were they going to say to the guards? Would they even let them in? Were they scared? If they remembered the prophecies about the Messiah with the words of the prophet Isaiah mocked their grief as they mourned the death of who they thought was their savior. With darkness closing in, Isaiah revealed long ago that a great light would actually one day come to God's children, brought 
by a child, this light would renew not just Israel, but the entire world. In the midst of their darkest moment, a light would shine. Now, at best, this promise elicits, it sort of draws hope out of God's people, but it doesn't provide certainty. Even if the women remembered this prophecy, it wouldn't have applied to what they knew to be true. The body of Jesus rested in the tomb. That old promise from Isaiah, which they thought Jesus had come to fulfill, was just a promise still. It hadn't come true yet. Perhaps they could hold on to that hope again one day, but it didn't apply on that morning. Or did it? As they drew closer to the tomb, the world around the women started to provide evidence, signs that something had changed. See, every step they took brought them closer to the central event of history, the hinge upon which the entire universe turns from death to life. Every moment brought them closer to the realization that death itself had been defeated and that Jesus had risen from the grave. We see this happen in three ways on this morning. First, the earth itself responds. Imagine being in their shoes. Imagine walking through the dark and you hear a rumble as the landscape tosses and turns around you. There's an earthquake. Now, these women understood an earthquake was a natural occurrence with supernatural importance. The power to move mountains rests only in the hands of God, the creator. The prophet Nahum said, the mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him the world and all who dwell in it. Jesus said during his ministry that earthquakes would accompany the arrival of his kingdom. In Mark uh, 13, Jesus tells his disciples that when you hear of war and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. The earthquake was not random, but signaled something deeper. Second, When they arrived at the tomb, the guards were subdued, the stone was rolled away, and an angel greeted them. Again, this is sort of a big sign that something has happened, right? If you saw an angel showing up when you least expected an angel to be there, you would think maybe something is happening. Echoing the miracle of his birth, the presence of the angel revealed the incomprehensible truth that Jesus, once dead now lived again. Had they encountered the empty tomb on their own, they might have assumed that Jesus' body had been stolen. Maybe his, his tomb had been vandalized. But the angel commands him to do four things to encourage their hope. First, he told them to come forward. Approaching a guarded tomb in the dark was foolish at best. It was dangerous. At worst, to draw near to an angel must be infinitely more terrifying. Second, the women are told to see that the tomb was empty. With their own eyes, they verified the body of Jesus was no longer there. Third, he instructs them to go. The king of creation was awake. The earth was about to be remade, and they were part of the transformation. Fourth, the angel commanded them to tell of what they'd seen, so the disciples 
might know Jesus had ensured their salvation and there was work to be done. But even here, even with the angel, even with the angel's word, it's important to realize that their hope still remained at a distance. They were the first to hear of Christ's resurrection, but their hope in this moment was still slightly incomplete. Obviously, the angel in the empty tomb was remarkable enough, but for the women, someone rising from the dead was still nearly impossible to comprehend. It just didn't happen. In fact, it doesn't happen in our world. That is what makes this morning so remarkable. But for the women, someone rising from the dead, again, was impossible to comprehend. Throughout the history of God's people, only a handful of uh, individuals ever returned to life after they died. And in each of those stories in our Bible, they had been called back to life by prophets like Elijah or Elisha or Jesus himself. Those people had been acted upon, a miracle upon which they were the happy recipient. The resurrection of Jesus was seemingly spontaneous. It was generated not by some external miracle worker, but by the internal sacrifice of Jesus himself. To believe that Jesus had risen was in that moment too ridiculous and too wonderful to imagine, which is why they departed quickly from the tomb, not, just, not only with great joy, but also with great fear. Could they dare hope that Jesus was alive? But church, pay attention to what happens next. The resurrection grounds itself in history. And Jesus comes to us just like he comes to the women here. As the women return to share this news to the disciples, their hope, what they had hoped for, what Israel had hoped for, for generations, unexpectedly appears before them in the flesh. Jesus greets them in peace and tells them to not be afraid because the hope of all creation had returned to life. So we hope for a lot of things in this life. We hope we get a good grade on that test or we make the team. We hope that we're able to retire well. We hope that romance blooms. We hope we we will enjoy our jobs as we provide for our family. We hope for the best for our family. For the, uh, for the ones that we know that are struggling with physical or mental illness. We hope our children make the right decisions. But our hope, this human hope that we carry inside of us for so many different reasons, can only ever carry us halfway. Our human hope waits to be completed sometime in the future. But in the resurrection... Friends, in the resurrection, our hope comes to us. N.T. Wright says that Easter was when hope in person surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future into our present. See, without the resurrection, our hope would forever remain at a distance. It would be a prophecy reserved for the future, a promise that might one day be fulfilled. But when Jesus rose from the dead, our hope walked into our world alive and well. J.I. Packer writes that optimism hopes for the best 
without any guarantee of its arriving and is often no more than just whistling in the dark. Christian hope, by contrast, is faith looking ahead to the fulfillment of the promises of God. Optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God himself. Through the resurrection, the new life that Jesus promised would inhabit everyone who believed in him. Everyone who believed in him. It is a promise that has been certified, not as mere encouragement from a good leader, but as part of God's plan to redeem the whole world. The Apostle Paul understood the resurrection in this way. He said that it is the foundation, not just of his faith, but the foundation upon which all of Christianity rests. If this didn't happen, we are fools. In fact, he writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But if Jesus has been raised, then our faith has been proven to be true and our hope has come alive. J.C. Ryle wrote this. He said, the resurrection is the seal and memorial stone of the great work of redemption, which he came to do. It is the crowning proof that he has paid the debt he undertook to pay on our behalf, that he has won the battle he fought to deliver us from hell and is accepted as our guarantee and our substitute by our Father in heaven. Had he never come forth from the prison of the grave, how could we ever be sure that our ransom had been fully paid? Had he never risen from his conflict with the last enemy, how could we have felt confident that he has overcome the power of death and the devil? But thanks be unto God, we are never left in doubt. The Lord Jesus rose for us all. Friends, the resurrection tells us that we are children of a living hope. Peter explains in his first letter that according to his, his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, we receive this from Jesus. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, having already obtained the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We have a living hope in Jesus. Confirmation of our salvation, a receipt for our redemption. Our hope doesn't look to the promises of a distant future, but to an empty tomb. Our hope looks to our Savior, and on Easter morning, we remember that he rose from the dead. And because he rose, we know that everything Christ has promised to do for us isn't some vague prophecy, but a reality for us every day, every moment of our lives. See, the great and maybe alarming thing is the resurrection tells us our God conquered death so he might live in 
and to move through his children whom he has rescued today. Do you understand? The resurrection declares that our Savior doesn't passively watch the activity of this broken world of, or our lives from the sideline of heaven. Jesus isn't just alive. He is actively moving in this world, in your life, with grace and love and power and mercy. Our living hope woke up the morning of the third day, and the truth is that he still walks among us today. He is already moving to make this world more like his kingdom. And he is moving to make each of his children more like himself. The very same living hope that met the women that morning might just meet you today. So on this Easter morning, I encourage you to look for Jesus, not among the dead, but among the living. Look for him every moment. Do not forget that he is already close at hand, that he is ready to enter your heart and share the new life that he brings with each of you forever. This is good news. Hallelujah. Amen.